Amen. All right. Well, we're going to jump in, guys. We have kind of a, a lot to get into today, but it's going to be really good. It's going to be deep, and I believe it's going to stretch you and deepen you in your understanding as a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe some of the things that I'm going to share with you today are going to kind of be a stone in your shoe that you walk away with and go, man, I haven't really thought about faith from this perspective. I haven't thought about the Christian faith or the Christian worldview or even the Bible in this particular way. So if you were with us last week, and I would encourage you to go back and watch week one because a lot of the things were set up last week for what we're going to be moving into through this series. But we started a brand new series called War of the Worldviews. War of the Worldviews. Now very quickly, I want to recap just a bit from last week about what worldviews are, why they matter, so that the things we engage with today will make sense and be uh, enriching for you and encouraging to you. So worldview is the way we view the world. You're like, wow, you just turned those words around. That's right. Preaching, preaching school, right? For preachers, yeah. $29.99 online. Come on, somebody. Worldview is the way we view the world. It's how we interface, interact with the world around us, and it impacts everything we think, believe, and do. Now, worldview is not what we see. It's how we see it. So worldview is like wearing lenses or glasses or goggles, right? They cover your eyes. They influence and hopefully clarify what it is that actually exists and what's actually there, or they distort it. So a good worldview is going to accurately depict that which is, and a faulty worldview is like scratched or distorted lenses. They don't let you see. Now, a couple nights ago, uh, Bethany and I, we were observing a phenomenon in our neighborhood. I heard this crazy sound, and so I'm one of these like really, uh, not a light sleeper, but in that time before I fall asleep, like any sounds disturb me and I always think it's a prowler, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be like a, I would just, it could be a chicken. I would think it was a prowler. I just always think the worst case scenario. So we hear this noise outside. I, I go to the window and I, you know, open it up and I'm peering out and I see at our neighbor's house, what appears to be shadows moving up and down the walls and the, and the roof. And I'm like, demons. No, I didn't really th- think that, but I was like, are there people crawling on this house? And I'm seeing these figures. And so I get Bethany out of bed. I say, babe, come look. You need to see, what am I seeing here? What is this? And she looks out. She goes, babe, it's just people. Well, I know it's people. Okay, I didn't think it was the Easter bunny. I know it's people, but is there people crawling on this house? She goes, no, there's just some people on that balcony over there. And I'm like, oh, a balcony. And I, and I was able to, when I had the right kind of information from my wife, whose eyesight is very keen, she's eagle-eyed, right? I was able to go, oh, okay, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm seeing. Now, we were observing the same thing, but I was seeing something different. Why? Because my view was different. It was distorted or, or colored by something. And I was reading a kind of a scary book too, so maybe that's why I was thinking it was shadows. Same reality, different perspective. So worldview, when it comes to the way we view the world and how it influences our, again, thoughts, our beliefs, our, our, our actions and everything we do, it really matters. We want an accurate worldview, a worldview that has explanatory power for our experience of life in this universe that we call home, for this life that we're living and the interactions and relationships that we have, we need an accurate worldview. And the reality is that if, uh, if there is a God, and we're going to talk about this today, then our view as humans is not the same as his. And our goal is to get our worldview aligned with a God perspective it, to get aligned with a, a biblical perspective of reality rather than just a guess, you know, an educated guess that we might have or looking through life from our feelings and our emotions and our experiences. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, the Lord uh, is speaking to the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel thousands of years ago, and the, he's trying to get them to go back to Jerusalem. That's the context of this. But they've become very comfortable in exile, 
And so the prophet is, is, is saying this, so these, these words, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. This is what we say to our kids, right? My thoughts are not like your thoughts, right? Because I'm actually thinking. That's why they're different, right? My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. And he says in verse 9, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, I think at a different level than you. I have a different perspective, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, Don't copy the customs and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How does God transform us? By changing the way we think. Broken thinking, broken behavior. Broken thought patterns, broken habits, broken outputs in your life, okay? Just remember that. If your thinking is flawed and broken, if your worldview is distorted, and, it, and the way you think is broken, it's going to lead to brokenness in your life. So God wants to transform us into new people by changing how we think. And this is a, a picture of getting us these improved glasses, these improved lenses, a new worldview. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We want to experience that. We want to know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. In Jesus' name, right? We want good things. That's what we want for ourselves. And God wants to give it to you, but he has to change our thinking. So we need an upgrade in our thinking. And this is why we're doing this series. Because bottom level, as we, if I've been observing the world around us and observing social media and, and the conversations, even within our own church, I realize that it's very easy for us to get pulled away from a Christ-centered biblical worldview, seeing the world through God's eyes, even to get in pursuit of good causes, but from the wrong foundation or the wrong reason. And it's so valuable for us as human beings to get an accurate worldview. Now, I truly believe that the Christian worldview is the accurate story of reality. It's the right lens through which to view life. And I'm going to talk about that today. But even if you're not convinced of that, even if you're watching this today and you're going, well, I don't really know for sure, you know, maybe it's that, maybe it's something else, or maybe a lot of roads lead to God, or maybe there's a lot of different things. I want you to just lean in because the reality is that every worldview has three big questions, what I call the three fundamental questions that they have to answer and that they do answer. And we talked about these last week, and these give us a framework by which we can not only understand worldviews, but by which we can actually compare them and put them into the laboratory, so to speak, and see which one has explanatory power, which lenses actually give us an accurate view of the world around us and how we should think and act and believe. Now, as I said last week, having the right worldview doesn't actually make you right with God, and having the right worldview doesn't actually make you a good person. You can actually see correctly and still choose to do the wrong thing, and we do that all the time, don't we? Even Christians, followers of Jesus, who might have an accurate worldview, at least to some level, they still choose to do the wrong thing because having the right worldview isn't enough. You're not saved by your worldview. You're saved by a relationship through, with Jesus Christ, right? That you believe in him, you receive his grace by faith, and you are transformed. You receive the undeserved grace of Jesus. But there's some things that come foundationally before that that are important to establish that have to do with this area of worldview. So these three big questions when it comes to worldviews are this, are these. Number one, what is real? Number two, what is true? Number three, what is right? What is real is the question of origin. Where does the universe come from? That's what we're going to talk about today. Number two is the question of truth and logic and thoughts. And how do we, how do we peer at two things and know which one is true, which one is false? The third question, what is right, has to do with ethics and morality, okay? But the foundational question, number one, what is real? What is 
the uh, origin and, and what is ultimate reality? How did this universe and us, how do we get here in the first place? What is kind of the first foundation, the first fact that everything is built upon? And we're going to talk about this at length today. What is the nature of ultimate reality? Now, I, I'm guaranteeing you didn't wake up today, pour a cup of coffee and think, you know, today I'm going to figure out the nature of ultimate reality. Uh, maybe you did, and that means you're awesome, and you probably have a cool pipe and a jacket with, you know, elbow pads if you ask questions like this. You have a bunch of dusty books, you know, and you, you sit in a high-back chair and you, <laughs> and you talk like that. But most of us didn't wake up this morning going, what is ultimate reality? But I would propose to you today that this question really does matter a lot for us as ordinary, regular people living our lives whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, this question really does matter because it really is the foundation of everything that goes on in the way people act and speak and live and, and do what they do. And so we're going to lean into this question. Uh, many, many years ago, there was a man named Wilf, uh, God, Wilhelm, Wilhelm Gottfried Leibniz, and he said, why is there something rather than nothing? And this is what philosophers call the fundamental question of metaphysics, okay? It's not a question of physics, it, Physics. it's metaphysics. It's like beyond physics. It's, it's before kind of the scientific process begins because we're asking where did everything come from? And so he says, why is there something rather than nothing? That's the question that we're looking at today, okay? And this is a question every worldview has an answer for and has to answer because whether you believe in God or you believe in something else or nothing at all, you are locking in to some level of an answer to this question of why there is something rather than nothing. Why do we exist at all? And I could talk about this for a long time because this has been a deep philosophical pursuit for hundreds of years and even thousands of years looking and peering into this question. So I don't you know, act like I'm an expert on all of it, but hopefully I'll be able to shed a little bit of light on it for you today. So this is a question every worldview has to answer. Now, what I've found, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to oversimplify this, so be, be aware there are a lot of things that I'm not going to explore and a lot of things I'm not going to explain in pursuit of getting us out of here in time to go actually have lunch today. And also, so you don't die of boredom, uh, this is not going to be an exhaustive message, but I believe it will give some clarity. So just be aware of that. Let me give that little uh, disclaimer there. But when we look at this question, why is there something rather than nothing? What is real? This first fundamental question. There are really only two primary responses to this question, how did the universe get here? Two. Number one is the, this answer, that someone or something was involved. Okay, that's the first one. We see the universe. I'm here. I exist. I'm a thinking, feeling, breathing human being. I'm an ethical being. I, I have moral intuitions, and I believe things about politics and relationships and work and economies, and I'm, I'm here. I exist, and the universe exists. There's a physical reality that we can observe as separate human beings. If I throw a rock at someone, they go, ouch, that means there's actual real physical dimension and right uh, tangibility to the world around us. So we're not just living in a, you know, in a, a fantasy or something, like uh, at least it would be very complex, but uh, somebody was involved. Some, there's something here and someone or something was involved. That's the first uh, kind of perspective. The second one is this, that nothing was involved. It, it's time plus time plus chance. And that's what I would call the materialistic view. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But first, in this, in this first answer, there's a, there's a few kind of micro categories we need to look at real quickly. So the first answer is that someone or something was involved. And this is what we would kind of classify as God. Okay, God created. God was at the beginning. God started it. And if you're a Christian, you believe Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. 
If you can accept those words, you can accept everything that comes later, okay? It's the foundation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, but in this answer, there actually are a diff- some different categories because you can say it was either a personal God who interacts and speaks and has rules, right? Or it's an impersonal force. And this is the difference between theism or deism. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Jew, if you're a Muslim, you are a theist. You believe in a personal, interactive, communicative God, okay? A God who not only is just a force and powerful, he's not just transcendent, but he's eminent, he's close. He actually engages and interacts with human beings. He cares about what you do, what you say, what you think, and he cares about you to some level, okay? Some people, though, believe in this view of deism, which is an impersonal God. So deism has been described as the watchmaker God concept or philosophy. And this is the idea that there was this impersonal force, but some sort of a a mind or an intellect at work behind the scenes that created all things, like creating a watch, winding it up, and letting it run its course, who's not involved. Now, why as a theist, as a Christian theist, do I reject deism? Well, it's fairly simple. The reason why is this. I reject this idea that there is a mind, but an impersonal mind behind the universe, because it doesn't account for why this mind, this God being, would decide to create everything, create the universe, create us, and create things the way they are. That's an important thing to remember. Why would this God create things the way they are, but then be uninterested in interacting with it? In other words, why would this God place within us this pull and longing for transcendence, for meaning, for things outside of ourselves, what some would call the echoes of Eden or the echoes of eternity, that we, we want more than just this life, Um, C.S. Lewis famously said that if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I must conclude that I was made for another world. And even people that maybe even reject God recognize within us this kind of pull for more. So this idea of this impersonal life force kind of watchmaker God, uh, this being decides with intentionality, I'm going to create, okay? Because if you accept this view, you believe he actually created things or it created things. And then just decides, well, I'm not interested in interacting and I'm uninterested And what you end up with is really functional atheism. So it's semantic belief in God, but it's really functionally atheistic because this God doesn't care about you or what you do. So there are no ramifications for this view. You can say, well, I believe in a life force, uh, an impersonal force behind everything, sort of guiding, you know, not guiding, just letting, you know, setting it all up and letting it run its course. Well, that's functionally the same as the second view that we're going to look at. Now, this is attractive to a lot of people because it allows you to sort of hold on to some of what theism provides as a worldview but it sort of allows you to solve the logical problems that a purely materialistic worldview creates, which we're going to explore at length here in just a second. So the reason people accept this view is because they want to believe there is some mind behind things, and that allows them to go, wow, the laws of science, the laws of logic, and the laws of morality actually exist because there's this watchmaker that made the watch, wound it up, but, but left it, so there's really no ramifications for me if I step out of line. Whereas when you believe in a personal God, you go, man, what I do actually matters to this all-powerful being, which is actually scary, right? So people like this view, but I find it to be fundamentally flawed at a logical level because why wouldn't a being with intentionality create everything and have no interest in its uh, its, uh, operation, okay? So I won't explore again. This is not exhaustive, but that's that's one simple thing there. But what I want to focus in is the second view that nothing was involved. So you have theists, theists, deists, right? They believe something or someone was involved. And I believe there is a God. He created all things, okay? Then you go to the second view as we answer this question, what is real? And this is the view that nothing was involved. This could be very well uh, summarized by Carl Sagan, the natural philosopher and the scientist. He said, the cosmos is all there is, ever was, and ever will be. 
Okay, let me say that again. Carl Sagan, his view, which is held by many people that are materialists, they believe that the material world is all there is. He said it's the cosmos, this universe, is all there is, all there ever was, and ever will be. What is he really saying? Is he saying we're in a closed system, it's all material that can be observed and interacted with by our empirical senses, and that's all there is. There's no supernatural. There's no God. There's no spiritual realm. Anything that appears to be that way has a natural explanation, and if we haven't found it yet, we will find it. It all has a natural explanation, okay? So this view, I I kind of uh, uh, call it time plus slime plus chance, right? Time plus slime plus chance. Give Put some slime, some goo, we get primordial ooze, right? And we get the, maybe even the original sort of um, singularity of the universe. And if we give it enough time, it becomes this thing that we observe and call the universe and that we call ourselves and that we call life. Now, the problem with this view on the surface to me is that really it's a kick the, count, kick the can down the lane answer, okay? I don't know if you ever played kick the can as a kid, but you know, you run and kick the can and the person chasing you is trying to stop you from doing it. But this is a kick the can down the lane answer because what it's saying is, well, we don't know where the universe came from, but we will eventually, we'll discover it through science. Well, what tells you that? What gives you, what gives you a valid reason to believe that science will eventually lead you to this? Well, science tells us that, but that's circular reasoning. So it's a kick the can down the lane. It's not actually answering the question. Now, Materialists will say, well, there's a multiverse. There's, there's a lot of universes creating different universes, and that's how everything emerged. But what created the multiverse? Well, we don't know yet. So, okay, and I'm, I want to be fair. Again, I don't have time to dig into all of this. I know I'm making it overly simplistic, but, I, but on the surface, this is accurate. This view says, well, we don't know where the universe came from, but we know there's no God. There's no supernatural. We reject that a priori, meaning before evidence. We reject that as a presupposition, but we'll figure it out eventually. Okay, so it's kicking the can down the lane. Now, the big problem with this worldview is this. Why should we trust that our capacity or our ability to understand the universe from a purely materialistic view is sufficient? Now, let me explain what I mean by this. Because logic and the laws of science, which are two things that are being used when someone posits an argument for a naturalistic, materialistic, exclusively materialistic universe, the laws of logic and the laws of science in this worldview are merely abstract constructs. There is no authority to govern the use of logic and or the laws of science. There's nothing that says those things should be consistent and be an accurate measurement for us to be able to measure these things that we observe. Okay, here's why. The laws of science truly cannot be laws without a lawgiver. So we call them the laws of science. We say, well, gravity and physics and thermodynamics and these, these laws of science and the laws of logic, the logical law of non-contradiction, and something cannot be and not be at the same time, right? So there, there is such a thing as the logical law of non-contradiction. These laws are not laws without a lawgiver. Here's a simple argument for you. An atheist, someone who denies a lawgiver, really should have no confidence whatsoever in gravity. An atheist every day should walk out of their house very carefully, test, right? Go through the scientific process every time. Because why, would, why is gravity consistent rather than inconsistent? And how do we know with any confidence other than that it has never happened in the past that gravity doesn't just instantly reverse? 
Now, a real materialist would say, well, we don't have any confidence. Exactly, you don't have any confidence. You don't really believe in the laws of science. All you have is basically a bubble of an abstract construct that you've made for yourself that you can, all you can say is, I have confidence in only that which I have observed. The problem is there's more to life than that which we can observe. And so as you explore this, you find out this worldview doesn't have explanatory power for the full depth and breadth and width of life in the universe. But this, the atheist should never be confident in the breathability of air. Walking outside of their house, they should test every time because there's no reason why it would can be consistent. I actually believe it takes faith, the, the kind of faith that is often caricatured uh, in the Christian worldview, blind faith. I believe it actually takes that type of faith to be a pure materialist that all you have is faith based on your previous experience, they should also have no confidence in their capacity to reason. So when an atheist says, look, I have some logical arguments. Here's why there's no God. Okay, the problem of evil. If there's evil and suffering, God, okay, here's my logical reason. And also we don't need God. Science explains. So when a person makes an argument for their particular worldview, they are, they are borrowing from this idea of reason or logic. Okay, but a real materialist naturalists should have absolutely no confidence in their capacity to reason. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about this. He said, supposing there was no intelligence behind the universe, no mind, okay, whether it's personal or impersonal, we're not even there yet, no creative mind. In that case, nobody designed my brain for the purpose of thinking. It is merely that when the atoms inside my skull happen for physical or chemical reasons to arrange themselves in a certain way, this gives me as a byproduct the sensation I call thought. But if so, how can I trust my own thinking to be true? It's like upsetting a milk jug and hoping that the way it splashes itself will give you a map of London. But if I can't trust my own thinking, of course, I can't trust the arguments leading to atheism and therefore have no reason to be an atheist or anything else. Unless I believe in God, I cannot believe in thought, so I can never use thought to disbelieve in God. And he says that in that wonderful pithy way, that wonderful way that, that C.S. Lewis communicates. And so these are just some reasons why I lean towards a supernatural explanation, or more specifically, a, a personal God, as the answer to this question, what is real? The nature, the foundation of ultimate reality. So a couple things as we get ready to close up here today. Famous last words from preachers, right? What Francis Schaeffer, one of my favorite heroes of, of the faith, and a man who really deeply struggled with these, these questions and looked into them for himself and went through many crises of faith, to actually come to his beliefs, he, he recognized that the infinite personal God, a God who is outside of time and space, but can interact with it, but who is personal, he is transcendent, but he is imminent, creates an apex. In other words, this, this you know, apex under which the observable phenomena of the material and immaterial aspects of the universe finds reasonable explanation because the what, the why, and the how are all accounted for. Now, maybe you're like, okay, I don't want to hear arguments from Christians. These are people that are already convinced. It's not always true, but let's go to somebody who wasn't a Christian and wasn't even uh, alive when Jesus showed up on the scene, the philosopher Aristotle. Aristotle posited what he called the unmoved mover or the prime mover. Thousands of years ago, Aristotle realized within the universe, we have a series of observable physical cause, causes. And I want you to imagine dominoes, Okay. The universe is basically dominoes interacting with dominoes, interacting with dominoes, bump, 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 knocking them down in a row. Aristotle sees this and he realizes what knocked down the first domino. If, there, if we see dominoes falling, something had to start the dominoes falling. But if there was always a finite domino knocking down the next finite domino, at some point there had to be an infinite, an infinite, right, domino that knocked down the first finite domino. 
and that domino can't play by the same rules as all the other finite dominoes, right? How many of you really want to eat pizza now when I say the word domino over and over and over? So Aristotle realizes there has to be an uncaused cause. There has to be a non-physical, non-material, non-finite cause of all finite things, and it must be eternal and immaterial. This is his unmoved mover, and that sounds a lot like God, right? So he's, he's deducing from what we observe in the universe that there must be an explanation outside of this universe. Let me get a little deep into some science here with you, and we'll get you out of here. One of the reasons I believe in a supernatural non-material explanation for what is real in the beginning of the universe is the, the theory of the Big Bang. This came out years and years ago, and what the Big Bang really taught us through scientific measurement and observation was that the universe had a finite beginning. In other words, this universe uh, started somewhere. How did they figure this out? Well, they did it by looking at redshift. They realized that the expansion of the universe, there was an expansion. If there's an expansion, that meant it had to be coming from somewhere, right? There had to be some... some uh, uh, origin point by which everything is now expanding. We know that the universe through observation is expanding. This isn't a religious view. This is a scientific view. The universe is expanding. Therefore, at one point, it must have been contracted, right? There must have been an origin point. And then when you pair this concept with the laws of thermodynamics, uh, you get something very interesting because the first law of thermodynamics, and I got this from physics for idiots, so it works really well for me. The first law of thermodynamics says energy cannot be created or destroyed. Basically, there's a finite amount of energy in the universe. Okay, it started with a certain amount. The second law says that energy in motion, when energy starts to be transferred, if I apply force or energy to something, it becomes increasingly less useful. This is what we call the law of increasing entropy or ever-increasing entropy. Energy, as it is transferred or put into motion, always becomes less ordered and useful. Let me give you an example that I think makes sense. If I have a, a ball, a baseball, okay, and I throw it as hard as I can, does that ball over a period of time increase in speed or decrease in speed? It decreases in speed, right? If I throw that ball as hard as I can, it's going to stay level until it loses energy because of entropy, right? As, as, the, as the velocity and momentum begins to uh, cease, it's going to de-elevate, not elevate, okay? Now, a pitcher can throw a ball and get it to curve up, because they've applied a finite amount of energy and it's creating that result. But I want you to think, if you throw a ball and you just toss it into the air, the outside force of gravity is going to bring it down. Without another outside force elevating it and giving it an elevating factor, it's eventually going to cease being in motion, okay? Because energy as it is transferred becomes less useful. And this is why we know the ultimate destiny of the universe is what scientists call heat death, which is a little scary. But basically, all of the energy in the universe started at one point, and it was highly ordered, and, and now it is expanding, and it is becoming less useful and colder, and it will eventually reach an equilibrium point of zero. Okay, and you go, man, I don't know if I get that, but here's what I want to apply this to. If we have an origin point of the universe, it all started somewhere, we have a finite amount of energy, and energy, as it is used, becomes increasingly less useful, what does that point me to? It points me to an infinite uncaused cause. This is why I reject that purely materialistic worldview of the cause of the universe, of the reality of the universe, okay? The other thing is that we have no known systems in the universe. There's never been a system observed in nature where the system creates its own reason for existence. In other words, the system creates its own system. That does not happen. We always have intentionality and mind behind a system. There's no, there's no such thing as a subway system that just figured itself out. 
We, don't, we never have that. And we don't have that in nature and we don't have that in the cosmos and we don't have that in human interactions and organizations and businesses. We don't have that. We don't get randomly caused systems that create their own reason for being. That is not observed in the universe. And so if we, uh, if we recognize that pattern and agree to that, then why would we think the universe has the capacity if in the micro that never happens, why in the macro would that suddenly be the answer? And the, re- and, the re- and the answer is it's not. It's not possible. That there's always intelligence and intentionality behind every system that is observable. It's always been that way. And there's a reason. It's because the most logical answer, I didn't say I could prove it, but it's the most logical answer is that there was intentionality and mind behind the universe. And so for these reasons and many more, I believe that it takes more blind faith to believe in a purely material, uncaused universe than it does to believe in God. Now, if I haven't lost you yet, let's finish this thing up. Let's Let's dismount this horse and get out of this rodeo. How we answer this question has tremendous implications. If there is a God, an infinite personal God who created all things, he is the ultimate arbiter of reality, and he cares about you and he cares about me, then that really influences what we think, say, and do. If there is no God, it also changes everything. Now, what people will say is this, well, I don't need to believe in God to be a moral person. I can be a good person and not believe in God. Absolutely, there are some highly moral excellent citizens who are atheists, but they're not logically good people. They're being good because they're actually borrowing from a worldview that they deny. And I want you to understand this. You can say, well, you don't need to believe in God to be a good person. You absolutely don't need to believe in God to be a quote-unquote good person, but your worldview, your lens is distorted, okay? So these, this is using an argument from two different levels, and what we're talking about here is the logical explanatory power of a worldview, but the reality is that every worldview has tremendous implications because we can't really interact with each other. And this is where we're going to go in, the, in weeks to come when we talk about truth. We lose the ability to have meaningful human interaction on the basis of agreement when we don't agree on first principles, Okay? when we don't agree on the nature of reality. Why are people arguing on social media? Oh, well, because these people voted for this guy and these people voted for this guy. No, it actually goes deeper than that. It comes from this place of worldview, the way that they're seeing the world. Now, hopefully this would make you less hostile towards others and at the same time more understanding of others when you recognize that people are seeing something different than you are based on this concept on worldview. Now, as we finish this up, we need to know that every worldview has a first fact. One of the things I don't want to communicate to you is like, man, you could just believe in God. There's no other explanation that even makes any sense at all. It's all hogwash and and kind of like throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't want to do that because I, I don't think I can convince you and I don't think real belief or faith in God comes from being convinced. What I want to do is give you evidence and say, here's some reasons why for me, I've accepted uh, the fact that there is a God, but here's what I want you to understand. One of the caricatures that's come is that Christians or Christian theists, they just believe in God as God of the gaps. They just kind of like needed to have an explanation for the universe to you know, pop, pop God in there. That was my weakest pop. I've done it a long time, but you know, I'll work on it. But that's not the case. The reality is that every worldview has a first fact. Every worldview starts with a logical leap or a leap of faith, meaning this, at some level, you, by presuppositional thinking, you, 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 you look at and say, okay, what started the universe? Is it God or is it just time plus time plus chance? Is it the multiverse? Did aliens show up on the scene first? Are they eternal? Like you have to start somewhere and then work your way from that point, okay? Now, the reason why I believe the Christian worldview, and I agree with Francis Schaeffer, is, is right uh, and, and accurate 
as far as a, a true story and lens to view reality through is because it logically coheres. In other words, it sticks to and it accurately, it, it, it's valid, uh, validated, it's falsifiable and verifiable to the universe that we actually experience and that we actually know. And I'm talking about the physical universe, like the laws of science, but also the laws of logic and the laws of morality, which we're not going to go into today. And so I find the Christian worldview to be a good lens to look through because when I'm looking through that lens, I don't crash my proverbial car, right? The windshield of the Christian worldview allows me to operate in life and it has explanatory power for the good things in this world and the bad things, for the random things in this world. It actually has a place for everything that worldview logically coheres. And many, many do not, okay? So that is why I accept that explanation. Now, I want to finish by reading you a couple of lines from my book, Reorthodox. And uh, this isn't product placement. It's just easier for me to, to say what I've already said rather than make it up again. Uh, I want to finish with this because I think this summarizes this message very well. Reorthodox, um, page 32. Yeah, you can turn in your, your textbook. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> As we observe the universe and our existence within it, we are met with a reality that must be accounted for reality itself. And reality is much more than matter. In fact, a great deal of meaningful human existence is predicated upon immaterial things such as thought, emotion, and imagination. All people must give an account for reality. One may choose to believe in God's existence or not, but everyone must choose. This choice is the beginning of what is known as a worldview. Your worldview is a system of presuppositions about reality, truth, and morality that each of us holds either consciously or subconsciously. Our worldview is the lens through which we view all of life, and we all have one. In the Christian worldview, God's existence is presupposed. It is by the light of his existence that Christians interpret life. God is the first fact of Christianity. In an atheistic worldview, there is no God, and yet the universe and humanity both still exist. Both worldviews are tasked with answering the same questions about the origin of the universe and the meaning of life. The atheist and the Christian are both faced with the existential and philosophical quandaries of life. We must all deal with the enigmas of meaning, suffering, love, death, the full breadth and depth of what it means to be a human, it confronts us every day, right? Theories meet their match in reality. This is what happens. Worldviews become real. Every ideology and philosophy must be lived out, and there's no escaping this. So what story are we to tell or be told about life then? Both material and immaterial concerns must be accounted for in this story. It has to account for all of the reality, the whys, as well as the whats. We can't hide behind inadequate answers anymore. If science cannot tell us why, then we must stop asking it to. Now, to be clear, the problem has nothing to do with science. Science is a useful tool for observing the universe. Furthermore, there is nothing antithetical about faith in science, and my intention is not to create that because it would be a, a, that dichotomy. That would be a false dichotomy. There's always been a place for science within the Christian worldview, and I believe the scientific pursuit only makes sense from the perspective of the Christian worldview because Christianity tells a story of a universe that functions according to a pattern of design, a pattern of laws, the laws of science, the laws of logic. And if the atheist is allowed to deny the lawgiver or the source of these laws, then they should give up their belief in the laws themselves. For the atheist, the laws of science should really become the random yet inexplicably consistent occurrences of science. The atheist, according to his worldview, doesn't have a good reason for believing the universe functions and will continue to function according to set laws and patterns. Why would it? Why would the universe with a random beginning, suddenly begin to exhibit order. If the universe was birthed in chance, how and why do we observe a system of uniformity in natural causation? Why would an atheist ever have the faith to walk out of their house expecting that gravity would continue to keep them anchored to the earth? I gave that example before. 
perhaps a little of the same random chance that was necessary for the emergence of the universe according to their worldview would kick in and gravity would suddenly reverse itself, sending them flying into space. I'm not saying this is going to happen. In fact, it won't happen. This can be affirmed with confidence according to the Christian worldview. It is preposterous to think that random reversals of the natural order would recur for no reason in a system designed according to function according to set laws. It is for this very reason that atheism's proposal about the universe is inadequate. And when you purposely introduce the necessity of chance and randomness into your explanation of the universe, you cannot simply wave it off later when it becomes inconvenient. The question of God's existence is a simple question with a rather complex answer. The idea that God exists might be rather hard to accept, but what of the alternative? Faith is in some ways a choice, but so is doubt. To believe in God or deny him is to make a commitment toward a particular worldview. The questions are the same for both sides. Our universe must be explained in some way or another. The denial of God's existence is not an adequate solution in and of itself. It introduces new questions without necessarily answering the old ones. Don't worry, I'm going to land this plane here, guys. With this understanding in mind, we can begin to approach the questions the universe lays before us with at least some level of objectivity. All worldviews must give an account of reality. Also, all worldviews must establish a framework of knowledge through which our questions can be phrased, understood, and eventually answered, a way to determine what is true. And lastly, all worldviews must touch on the existential realities, such as good and evil, joy and suffering, and ultimately the meaning of life. These questions cannot be left unanswered by any worldview that would seek to give humanity an accurate and complete view of life. Our reality confronts us constantly with the question of its own existence. It is a question that cannot be ignored. Though the wise answer the question with great trepidation, it is only left unanswered at great peril. For life surges ahead at the speed of time and we are carried along in its current. Our day of reckoning is always drawing nearer. We have to answer this question. We can't ignore it. And we're already answering it in the way we live and operate. And we're either living in coherence with reality and logic or we're living outside of that coherence. So, that is the end of this message. I declare it finished, concluded, and over, and I thank you so much for your time today. I do quickly want to invite any of you that are watching this that perhaps have been leaning towards making a decision to follow Jesus, and perhaps even what I said today helped you uh, remove some of the objections or things that potentially were, were stopping you from exploring faith and moving forward in Christ. And so Every week we give people an opportunity to place their faith in Jesus. If that's you and you'd like to do that, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've fallen short of your standard and I need you to save me. So I give you my heart. I give you my life. I pray that you would be my Lord and Savior and give me the grace to follow you the rest of my life as I go on this journey and this joy of discovering who you are and learning to know you more and be like you I give you my life today in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, hey, if you, if you uh, prayed that prayer with me today, I wanna ask you to fill out this simple card by texting the word DECIDED to 541-229-8848 and we will help you walk on this journey of following Jesus. And if you wanna become uh, more connected to Joy Church, if you're watching this live or on the replay, uh, we have another uh, uh, form that you can fill out to get connected to this wonderful fellowship of, of people. It's a great group of folks, not perfect people, but people that are following Jesus together. All you need to do is text the word HOME to that same number, 541-229-8848. Hey guys, God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday and a wonderful summer. We'll see you at Joy Church in the Park. God bless.